The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. We will now have scripture read by Sean and Jennifer and baby Naomi. Hi, we are Sean, Jennifer, and Naomi Major, and we're reading Colossians 3, 12 to 17 today. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Morning, church. Oh, you know, uh, we've been saying good morning, church, all the way along, but it's sure good to say that and see some of my church at the same time. Guys, welcome back, and it's really, really good to see you. Uh, It's just good to worship together. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at White Ridge Baptist Church. And first of all, I just want to say thank you uh, to all of the people who've been involved in the service so far. Uh, worship team, you chose all the songs that my heart wanted to sing this morning. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you to Sean and Jennifer and baby Naomi. She is so, so cute. And thank you for reading the scripture this morning. And for all of you watching this service, you probably noticed that today's reading wasn't from the book of Romans. And That might have struck you as a little bit odd because we've been working through the book of Romans as a church. Well, the reason for that is that we're taking a bit of a detour today. Uh, A while back, Pastor Terry asked me if I would preach a message about about marriage today, uh, given that it's Valentine's Day. Uh, So we're taking a day off from the book of Romans and instead we'll be working through portions of two other books, actually, uh, uh, Colossians and also Ephesians. And before we start into that, I would like to pray. So please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. And I thank you for all that you have told us in your word about who you are and all that you have told us in your word about how it is that we are to live our life in relationship with you and how it is that we are to live our life in relationship with one another. And as we prepare to talk about marriage, Lord, I am very aware that that these words are going to, to go out to people in many different situations. Some who are not yet married, some who have been married and are no longer, some who have very recently lost their spouse, and also some who are in marriages that are struggling, 
Maybe even it feels like they're hanging from a thread. And, and so I know that there's all of these different ears, all of these different hearts, Lord, that you know in our church family, that you know of those who are watching online, all these different hearts who need from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this morning to speak into everyone's lives. We recognize that, that we can talk about relationships and how you've created them to be, but there is one relationship that every other relationship is a pale comparison of, and that's our relationship with you, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would teach us of you this morning, even as we lift up marriage on this Valentine's Day, that we would come away uh, challenged to be closer to you, our God, that we might know the joy of that and that you might be blessed and honored. And I pray that you'd give me wisdom as we speak through these passages. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me be honest. Let me be honest with you this morning. Uh, When Terry first asked me about preaching about marriage, I wasn't so very sure that I wanted to. I was a little bit hesitant. And for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, there are many couples in this church many of you, that if I was looking for advice about marriage, I'd go to you. Uh, there's so many couples that I look up to that way who I've observed over the, the, the years that I've been in this church family who, and I've watched how you've lived out your marriage and I've watched how you have parented your kids and all of that, and I look up to you in those things. And even this past Tuesday, uh, some of you were on a Zoom call. Uh, we had a question and answer uh, Zoom meeting uh, in response to our recent sermons on sexuality. And there was, there was a lot of participation. There were lots of people from our church who were present at that meeting. And you know how Zoom looks. You can see all the different names of all the people who are watching at the same time as you. And I, and I knew I was preaching about marriage today. And I looked at all those names and I thought, well, you and you and you and you, what do I have to tell you about what it is to live in a healthy marriage? But that was only the, that's just one reason why I was hesitant to preach about marriage today. The other reason is much more personal than that. Because here I am on this platform sharing about what it means to live a biblical and healthy marriage, and my wife is watching. Linnell knows me better than anybody else knows me. She knows our marriage better than anybody else does. She sees things in our marriage that none of you see, and I'm glad that none of you see it sometimes, because sometimes I really, really drop the ball. And so she sees the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I've had this picture of me preaching and saying all these flowery things about marriage while she's watching, maybe thinking, Kevin, what are you even talking about? You don't do any of that stuff. And that's not her to say that kind of stuff, but it's what I've been thinking about. So anyway, those are some of my misgivings about this morning. But at the same time as that, there are a couple of reasons that I am especially glad to be talking about marriage today. And the first reason is that I love marriage. I do. Um, I've been a counselor for more than 20 years now. I was a counselor a long time before I was ever a pastor. And I'm sure by now I've sat across from literally hundreds of couples. And I've, I've seen everything. I've seen everything. I've sat in the middle of World War III so many times in my office. I know what it is to be in an office doing a marriage counseling session where my office suffers property damage. 
I've experienced that before. Uh, things can become really intense when, uh, when you start getting into marriage difficulties. That wasn't at this church, by the way. Uh, uh, but that said, I've also had a front row seat to see the most beautiful of things. Uh, there's nothing like watching a couple reconnect in a new way. There's nothing like watching a couple taking the risk of really understanding each other for the first time or offering forgiveness and grace to each other. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. And to me, that is, that is sacred ground. There's really nothing else quite like it. And even more than that, I love my marriage. I have an amazing wife. Well, now we've been married 23 years now and a bit. And you know what? We first got to know each other in this church, in White Ridge Baptist Church, uh, actually on the worship team, uh, no less. Uh, it wasn't on this stage. It was on the, the platform in the, the old building we just moved from a couple of years ago, 201 Skirfield. Uh, that's where I first got to, got to know Linnell. And she... She had this red dress, and she had this long curly hair, and I don't know if it's okay to say uh, smoking in church, but she was smoking, and I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to talk to her, and we started talking, and, and uh, less than a year later, we were married, and it's been an adventure ever since. Ups and downs, for sure. Uh, we've experienced some loss together and some challenges, but a lot of joys uh, including raising our two kids. Linnell is my friend, she's my confidant, she's my sounding board, and I just really enjoy making her smile. And so with that, I'm happy to talk about marriage today and some of what God has to say about marriage in Scripture. So, what is marriage? What is it for? Why does it exist? I don't think it had to exist. God didn't have to create it. He could have created the world any way he wanted to, and he didn't have to include marriage. I know it's not just for the purpose of procreating and populating the earth. I'm a farm kid. We had horses and cows, and they populated just fine. They didn't need marriage for that. So what is marriage for? Well, today, we're going to look to Scripture to answer that question. And I'll tell you already that what we're going to be talking about, what scripture is going to show us overall, is that marriage was designed in order to honor Christ. And that's what I'm preaching today. The purpose of marriage is to point to Jesus. And I'm going to be looking at two scripture passages today at the same time. Uh, one is Paul's letter to the Colossians, and one is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And the reason I've chosen to use both is that, to me, these two passages are remarkably similar. They, they mirror one another, and they augment one another in a, in a parallel kind of way. And in these two passages, Paul is going through a progression of theme. And then at the end of that progression, in each letter, Paul lands on the example of marriage. So the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through that progression as, as I see it. And by the way, uh, when Paul wrote these letters, he wasn't writing this just to married people. This was for the whole church. And it's not even actually till the end of this progression that we're gonna go through today that he lands on the example of marriage. But in order to understand that illustration, we have to understand what comes before. So, 
Here we go. Uh, in Colossians and in Ephesians, Paul makes the focus super clear. He just starts off plain and simple. He starts off with Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. You see, he's the reason for absolutely everything. And now over in Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 8, is that it is by faith in Christ that we have been saved, not by our works. And in chapter 3, he prays that God will strengthen the church, strengthen us with power that we would grasp together with all the saints how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Jesus. In both of these passages, Paul begins by lifting up the name of Christ. That's where he starts. And then he goes on to say what our response to that focus needs to be. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. In other words, Jesus is your focus. Your life is about honoring him now. My friends, that's what my life is for now. It's for honoring Christ. And if you are in Christ, if you've trusted your life to Christ, then that's what your life is for now. That is where our joy is found. It is in saying who Christ is and setting our eyes on him and living our life for him and making our life about him. And over in Ephesians, in response to the focus of Christ, we are invited to honor Christ by growing in Christlikeness together. And in the book of Ephesians, the word together is so important. In chapter 4, we are reminded that every believer has been given spiritual gifts, every one of us. We are all gifted in unique ways, and we are all called to use these gifts to help each other grow in Christ. Verse 11 says, It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And in verse 15, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we will all, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Now again, Paul is saying this to the whole church, to every one of us, married, unmarried, we as a body of believers are called to walk with one another, encourage one another, sometimes confront one another, so that together we can grow in maturity in Christ and honor him more. I think I've said this here before, but to me, this passage, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. I've got pieces that you need, and you've got pieces that I need, and when we put those pieces together, then we start to have a picture. Then we start to grow. We start to, we start to grow in our Christ-likeness and, 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 and uh, demonstrate who he is together. And to do that, in order for us to be able to, in relationship, speak into each other's lives, with that, kind of, with that kind of depth, in order for us in relationship to share our gifts, in order for us in relationship to grow in Christ, 
we are called to develop spiritual friendships with one another. Spiritual friendships. What is a spiritual friendship? A spiritual friendship is a friendship where Christ is the focus. I think all of us have our own circle of friends. It could be a big circle of friends or it could be a small circle of friends. Maybe it's mostly family. It looks different who our sphere of influence is for each one of us. It looks different who our circle of friends are. But a spiritual friendship is something that goes much deeper than just spending time together with somebody. A spiritual friendship goes much deeper than merely having a friend to laugh with or have coffee with or mutually enjoy an affinity for sports or for entertainment or for motorcycles. There's a bunch of us in that kind of friendship in this church. It can, it can include any of that or all of that, but spiritual friendship is so much more. A spiritual friend is someone who eagerly helps you to know Christ more, helps you to serve Christ more, helps you to love Christ more, and helps you to resemble Christ more. And each one of us is called to develop those kinds of spiritual friendships in the church. But marriage, marriage is like, it's like a, a smaller and more intense version of the church in some ways, like a, like a, like a microcosm. And husbands and wives are also called to live in spiritual friendship, helping one another grow in Christ. I remember uh, quite a few years ago now, uh, in this church, in our life group that we were in at that time, uh, we were having a discussion with our group, and I don't remember what the discussion was, or what the question was, or why we were even talking about this, but a, but a young woman in our group said that sometimes she looks at her husband and wonders what he will be like, what he will look like in heaven when he is in all of the glory that Christ has, has, has uh, envisioned for him, uh, and, and when he is finally all that he was ever meant to be. And I don't think she said that because she didn't like what he looked like right now. I think she said that because of something really beautiful. It was with a sense of wonder uh, that she, she loved her husband and she just wanted to see how he would exude all of this glory that he was created for. Uh, I thought about that comment often, and I think that is exactly the way that we should look at our spouse. In their book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller, they write that marriage is a way for two spiritual friends to help each other on their journey to become the persons God designed them to be. And then they go on to share an illustration. They said, picture if you go somewhere that's mountainous on a vacation and, and, uh, and when you're there, it's, it's cloudy and it's rainy and you can't even see the mountains. All you can see is just, just the ground around you and some of the things that are at eye level, but, but the glory of the mountains is beyond what you can, you can see. And then imagine that if the clouds part and the rain stops just for a little bit and then the sun comes out and you can see all of a sudden, this majestic view of this glorious peak, and it's like that with us. Uh, so often we are, we are crippled by our earthly flesh, our old self, stuck in our anxieties, our need to prove ourselves, our bad habits, or, or whatever it is. But sometimes the clouds part, 
And that new self, that real us that God has been working on, that God has redeemed and he's building, that new self is less obscured and there is a better view, a better view of all the ways that God is working in us. And just imagine if in each of our marriages we looked at each other and said, I love who God is turning you into and I just want to be part of helping with that. We were made to speak into each other's lives. But that process gets, gets messy. In the close proximity of marriage, we often so easily bump into each other's sin. And we become so aware of our spouse's sin, and they are probably even so much more aware of our own sin. And we hurt each other. We let each other down. And then when we're feeling hurt, and we try to voice that we're feeling hurt, it often comes out of a place of pride ourselves. <clears throat> and it can be messy. I remember early on in our marriage, uh, this is going back 20 years ago probably, one night Linnell and I were driving home from someplace, and, uh, and she was upset with me. And I can't remember why, but uh, I'll fully acknowledge that I very likely deserved it. And I remember driving home uh, and arriving back in our parking space uh, at the apartment complex where we lived at that time. And that's a long time ago, but I, I still have this picture in my mind, and I've thought about this picture many, many times in our marriage since. This picture of the headlights of our car on the fence in front of us. So we're in our parking space, and I'm just staring straight ahead, looking at these headlights on the, on the fence, and we're having this conversation. And at that point, it's a little bit one-sided because I'm realizing as I look at those headlights that I have a choice. I'm at a crossroads right now. I have a choice. I could, I could zone out. I could zone out. I could kind of withdraw from this conversation and kind of wait for the feelings to pass. I could kind of wait for, for whatever it was that the issue was to kind of fizzle out because I can do that. I know how to do that, and, and at, the, at the risk of being stereotypical, that might be a guy thing. I think we can kind of get, get into our own head and, and just kind of wait for it to go away. I realized as I was looking at those headlights that I had that choice, but there was another side of the crossroads, and the other side of the crossroads was that I could humble myself. I could listen to Linnell's heart. I could try to understand where she was coming from, I could be open to where this conversation was going to take us. And that night I chose, I chose that path. And it was messy. It was, a, it, was a, it was a terrible conversation in some ways, I think, for both of us. Uh, but afterwards, things were better. Afterwards, we understood each other more. Afterwards, there was grace. And I think, I think it was that night, the night of the, the headlights on the fence, that I came to realize that when I stopped trying to defend myself, when I stopped trying to come out of the conversation smelling like a rose, and we all know our different ways of trying to do that. If I stop doing that, there will be a hard conversation, but after that hard conversation, likely, it'll be better. Typically, good will come out of it. But vulnerability is hard. 
super hard, sometimes especially with the people we are closest to. But if we can be honest enough to speak the truth to one another, if we can be open enough to hear one another, if we can be other-focused enough to give and receive grace to one another, we will grow in Christ-likeness. But none of that works if we are coming from a place of pride. And that's why the very next thing that Paul tells us in both Colossians and Ephesians is to intentionally cast off our pride and selfishness and intentionally be willing to be selfless, to love selflessly. At the beginning of Ephesians 4, we read, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then over in Colossians chapter three, we see this passage that Sean and Jennifer Major read earlier. By the way, that was actually our our wedding passage uh, 23 years ago, and I will read a bit of it again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did you know that the words one another occur 59 times in the New Testament? Those two words together. And we see it over and over. Jesus says it, John says it, James says it, Peter says it, Paul says it. And all of those times have to do with loving one another selflessly, with humility. And just a few examples, uh, Mark chapter nine says, be at peace with each other. Romans 15 says, accept one another then as just as Christ accepted you. Romans 12, honor one another above yourselves. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. We just read that. Uh, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Galatians 5, serve one another in love. Hebrews 3, encourage one another daily. And that's just, that's just a few. Those are all through the New Testament, and that's absolutely no coincidence. You see, God's created the church, and God's created marriage with purpose, as a place to help each other grow in Christ. And that's hard work with a lot of moving emotional pieces because of all the stuff that we just said. And if you can picture that with all these moving pieces, if you, if you can picture it like an engine um, like of a car or of your motorcycle, uh, then this call to humility, to kindness, to selflessness, all of these one another verses, that's the oil in the motor. That's the oil that keeps this whole thing from heating up, the whole thing from seizing up, from breaking down. We need that. It's only in selflessness that we can be vulnerable enough to apologize, vulnerable enough to forgive, vulnerable enough to be curious about our spouse's point of view rather than be defensive, which, that's a big one. And we can't manufacture it. This doesn't come naturally to us, selflessness. Paul makes a special point to make sure the reader understands that we have to depend on the Holy Spirit for this. In Ephesians 4, verse 18, he says, to not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit, which means allow yourself to be dominated by the Spirit. And as soon after he says that, he transitions to a very important command in verse 21 of Ephesians. 
He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to say that again because it's going to be important for all the rest of what we say. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's with those words that he starts a new section where he goes on to give three examples of how to live out this principle in relationships. And his three examples are husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. At the beginning of this message, I, I told you two reasons why I was hesitant to, uh, to preach about marriage today. And I left one out. There actually was one more. I believe God led me early on in this process getting ready for today to preach from Ephesians. And uh, I was actually a little bit nervous about trying to unpack the word submit. This is such an emotionally charged word in the church and in marriages. And for good reason. Uh, Not only is it uh, so often misunderstood, but it's been tremendously abused. And it's really important to make a note of that today. The word submit, especially in passages like Ephesians uh, and and in Colossians, uh, 1 Peter 3 as well, the word submit has been often been abused, oftentimes in churches, and many times in a way that has served to oppress women, completely separate from what the intent of these passages actually are. And so, um, in this last little bit of today's message, my prayer is that I will speak about these verses wisely and carefully in a way that I hope takes away some of the anxiety surrounding passages like this, while also honoring the truth of of God's word. So, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So, just two quick points I want to make before we start unpacking all of that. First, we need to be clear that When Paul is writing about cleansing and washing with water, he's talking about Christ doing the cleansing and washing. He's saying, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. And then, meaning, and the way Christ does that is by cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, thus presenting them as holy and blameless. And I say that because it's clear that that Paul is suggesting that husbands give themselves up, absolutely, for the sake of their wives, but he is not for a moment suggesting that husbands are responsible for making their wives holy. Neither are wives responsible for making their husbands holy. The only way that any one of us can be made holy in the eyes of the Lord is by putting our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself up for us by dying on the cross. 
for sin, and it's only through him that we are made holy. So I wanted to make a point of that. Second, uh, this would have been a mind-blowing passage in this letter for the people at that time. But what made it controversial then is very different than what might make it controversial now. You see, back then, there was already a trend in, in, in secular society, in secular writings, for there to be written house codes about what the duties of the home should be. That already existed. Uh, those writings were already circulating at the time of this letter. However, prior to this writing, every written house code only addressed the duties of women because they were seen in that society as being less valuable than men. Christian writings like this were the first to address men at all. And certainly the concept of calling men to love their wives, let alone humble themselves and give themselves up for their wives, that was something completely new. And in some ways I think that that's the bigger point here, uh, that, that Paul is saying something to the men that is radical, that is important and needs to be followed and it requires selflessness for them to do it. But I suppose the, the lingering question is, what do we make of these verses? What do we make of this differentiation of, of marriage roles? Because you know, it's, it's from these passages and others like it uh, where we get the idea of biblical headship. That is, that the husband in a Christian marriage is responsible for leading his wife and family spiritually, and that they are called to follow his lead. And I think on that point, some of us, even within our church family, might tend to interpret this in different ways. And I'm gonna say this morning that that's okay. And I'll say why in a little bit. But some of you might point out the fact that the example here of husbands and wives is one of three examples that one of the other examples is slaves and masters. And you might say that we don't recognize the authority of a human being who would enslave another human being in our day and age today. And so you might say, because of that, that Paul is just looking at relationships around him in the society that he's in, and that he is using those as examples, and that those are just the, the examples of what those relationships were like then. And so you might say that what he has to say about the roles within marriage, therefore, uh, do not apply uh, to us today. Or, maybe you land on the other side of this and would say that because Paul is going so far as to say that these marriage roles are specifically designed to be an example of the relationship between Christ and the church, that means that this is for all time. Christ in the church is for all time, and marriage is, is an example of Christ in the church for all time. So, so then you would say that these verses are just as relevant in the 21st century as they were in the first century. And I expect, like I said, that in our church family there are people who might land on either side of, of that. For me personally, I do believe that I am held to a greater level of accountability for the spiritual well-being of my family. I do believe that God's word calls me to lead in my family. But for, for any of us who would tend to interpret these verses in that way, I wanna say some really, really important things, uh, three actually, about what spiritual headship is not. 
Spiritual headship is not about power. Men, if you are exercising leadership in your home and to any degree it looks like ruling over your wife or it looks like lording it over your wife, then you're doing it wrong. Christ is a servant leader who gave everything for us, including his very life. And any kind of leadership that promotes our own needs above the needs of our wife is the exact opposite of the example of Jesus. If we're gonna love our wives the way that Christ loves the church, we better be prepared to put everything, everything aside. We better be prepared to completely give ourselves up because Christ died for us. And that's our example. The second, the second thing that spiritual headship is not is that it's not about value. A view of biblical headship does not mean that either party is any more or any less valuable, valuable than the other. How does that work? Well, I look to the example of God. He is a triune God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, it was because God the Father sent him. And when the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, came to earth to live in us, it was because Jesus, God the Son, sent him. In what they were doing, they submitted to one another, but not for one second were any of them any lesser or any greater in value than the others. And I believe it's the same in marriage. If God gives us different spiritual roles or tasks in any context, in, the, in, the, in, in our marriages, in the church, it is never a reflection of the value of the people doing those roles. And then third, this is not about day-to-day tasks. It's not about blue jobs and pink jobs. I wanna to talk to you about, uh, about my grandpa. He passed away about 12 years ago now. He was a good man. Um, I really, really loved him. And he was a caring man. He was a passionate pastor. And I have a ton of respect for the way that he lived his life. But let's be clear. If my grandma had passed away first, my grandpa would have died of starvation. Very quickly, he would have died of starvation. I remember as a kid visiting my grandpa and grandma, and grandma was, uh, was away for the day for some reason, and grandpa decided that he was going to make, make, make lunch. And, uh, and it, it was so clear to me I swear that he'd never been in that kitchen before in his life. He had absolutely no idea. <laughs> I wasn't going to share this much, but it was funny. He, he, he put a, a frozen dinner in the, in the oven, and he turned the oven on and closed the door and then opened it like every 30 seconds. <laughs> thinking, maybe he needs to heat up a little bit more first, Grandpa. Anyways, that's how they rolled. Uh, kind of old school, but it worked for them. I think that Grandpa lived out biblical headship in other ways, but, that's, but not because of that. Uh, biblical headship isn't about how you divide up jobs. It's about spiritual leadership. And you know what? Uh, to me, as the preacher of this, of this message, I'm not especially concerned about whether you who are listening to this message interpret this passage to indicate biblical headship. 
We've, we've had other issues that we've talked about from scripture before where we've acknowledged from the pulpit and, and amongst ourselves that you might be sitting beside somebody in the pew that, or uh, in, in life, you might be sitting beside people who, who see this differently than you and yet hold scripture, scripture up to the, the same high regard that you do. Uh, this is not to me the primary issue of, of, this, of this passage and it's not the primary point. What does matter to me, what matters a lot to me actually, uh, is that we come away from this discussion with an understanding that we are all called to be humble and selfless in relationships, including our marriage, putting the other ahead of ourselves, loving one another, sacrificially submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ like we, like we saw in the previous verses, because that's a reflection of who Jesus is to us. Because I do believe, I do believe that God has designed marriage to be a testimony a proclamation of the relationship between Christ and the church. In verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis chapter two when he writes, therefore a man shall leave his, his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Just imagine this, just for a second. Imagine this, thousands of years before there even was a church. Thousands of years before any human being had ever heard the name of Jesus, God invented marriage. And in doing so, he put a marker in place to point to a future covenant, thousands of years in the future, between our Savior and us. And that covenant is, is what all of this, all of this life that we are now in, that covenant is, is what this is about. Jesus is holding fast to us. He gave himself up for us. He will never leave us, he will never stop loving us, and he will always be gracious to us. And marriage is meant to be an example of that for the world to see. And we're not gonna do it perfectly. God knows that I don't do it perfectly. There's nothing like preparing a message on marriage to make you stop and take account of how you're doing in marriage. I, and I thank God for it. I feel like these last few weeks in looking at these passages, doing some reading, doing some praying, doing some thinking, I feel like maybe this is a little bit of a, of a, a new time for me. Just in, in looking again is what does selflessness look like for me in my marriage? We're not gonna do it perfectly. Many times our pride is gonna get in the way. Many times the machine is not gonna have enough oil and it's not gonna run like it's supposed to. And if a leader is not selfless, following that leader will feel like a risk. And if a follower is not selfless, leading that follower will feel like a risk. And when we speak into each other's lives without humility, honesty with one another is gonna feel like a risk. But let's risk. Let's risk, let's seek to love one another with the hearts of servants. And when that is hard to do, let us trust that Jesus, who selflessly poured himself out for us, will continue to be enough for us and give us what we need in turn to pour ourselves out for others. And in doing so, for those who are in a marriage relationship, you can know 
that your very marriage was designed by God to be part of a grand proclamation thousands of years in the making that declares to the world who Jesus is and how he has shown us his love. Because that, because he is our focus. Amen. I want to uh, end this time with a, with a little plug. Um, we're planning to hold a, a marriage seminar at, at this church in the spring. That seems a little bit ambitious, given that right now we can only have this many people in, in the building. Uh, but uh, Lord willing, and if COVID guidelines uh, allow, uh, we would like to have a seminar here in the spring. Uh, we did one a few years ago, if you might remember, called Love and Respect. And it was, it was a good experience, I think, well, for us in our marriage, but also for us as a church, from everything that I heard in regards to feedback of that. Um, this is not the same seminar. This time, the seminar is by Paul David Tripp, and it's called, What Did You Expect? And uh, right now, we're aiming, Lord willing, uh, to, to do this seminar on May 14th and 15th. That's a Friday and a Saturday. That'll be part one. And then a short time after that, we will aim for another Friday and a Saturday uh, to, to do the rest of it. And so we want to show you a little uh, clip. So we're going to run a video clip, which gives you a bit of a taste of what this seminar is. Preferred flavors. Preferred unsaturates for those concerned about the family diet. I think there are thousands of couples every week who get married with unrealistic expectations. Nobody has ever been married without being disappointed in some way. Part of the problem is Western culture dating. I think Western culture dating is just a step above used car sales. Because when I'm dating, the last thing I want is for this person to get to know me because I'm trying to sell myself to this person. I actually am attracted to that person not because I love him or love her, warts, difficulties, failures, brokenness, and all. I, I love myself and I love what that person will, will do for me. That attraction isn't love. Is I'm essentially proposing that marriage is war. What I mean by that is not those skirmishes at the horizontal level between husbands and wives that so often are the content of marriage books, but that marriage is really the product of a deeper war. And that war is fought on the turf of my heart. Think about it, if you ask the average husband what's wrong with his marriage, he probably won't talk about himself, he'll talk about his wife. You ask the average wife what's wrong with her marriage, she probably won't talk about herself, she'll talk about her husband. And because they're buying into this delusion that my biggest problem is outside of me, not inside of me. Each of us carry into our marriages something that is fundamentally destructive to relationships. The Bible actually names it. It's called sin. Sin in its fundamental form is selfish. And so it puts inside of me antisocial instincts that are destructive to relationships. 
I wrote this book so that people would be able to look into the mirror of the Word of God and begin to see themselves as they actually are and begin to say, maybe it is me. Maybe there are things that I'm wanting, that I'm thinking, that I'm doing that are destructive to this relationship. When you can get a husband to that level of honesty, a wife to that level of honesty, you're at the edge of real good things for the marriage. I'd like to uh, conclude with some words from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you that he sacrificed everything for us. I thank you for the selflessness, the profound selflessness that that demonstrated, that that required. And I thank you that you have called us, given us an opportunity even to emulate our Savior in how we love one another. And so for all of us, Lord, every one of us in this church, every one of us who have found us online today, I pray two things. I pray that for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, that you would reveal Jesus to them, that they would come to see that there is a Savior who died for sin and is always inviting, no matter who they are, no matter where we've been, who's always inviting us and saying, I want, I want to give you grace. I want you to know that you are loved. I pray that you would invite to this morning. And the second thing, Lord, is I pray that for all of us, in whatever kind of relationships we are in, in our friendships, in our marriages, whatever it is, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love one another selflessly so that together we can have the ability and the freedom and the vulnerability and the courage to build one another up with the goal together of growing in you. May we set our eyes on things above, not on things of earth. Help us to set our eyes on Christ. Bless each one as we go from here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.